Welcome to the Cobra Cast with the present VP. For this episode, we would like to thank these valued partners. Is your scratched window ruining your view? Starting from scratch to your experts at removing scratches from windows and any glass surface. Whether it's general scratches around the home or a knife graffiti tag shop front, they can remove it. They're also helping the environment by saving the window from being dumped into landfill while bringing the glass back to its former glory without the scratches. Don't replace your scratched window. Repair it with Starting From Scratched, your glass and scratch removal specialist for home, shop fronts and cars. Call today for a quote, 87595629 or find out more at startingfromscratch.com.au. All right, welcome to the Cobra Castle, the present VP. I'm the host, Ricky Rifty, the Prez Logan. I got my co-host, Ricky Et Dog VP Etridge. Uh, welcome to the show, and welcome Et Dog. How are you, mate? We're, we're getting we're getting close. Hopefully, in recording this intro, we actually don't know what's happening on Sunday, but hopefully, hopefully something eases up for us. Fingers crossed, mate. Fingers crossed, because you know it's driving a lot of people crazy. There's a lot of Mate, there's a lot no, of crazy people out there, but anyway, um, <laughs> before we get into who we've got on the show next, is there anything you want to discuss? Anything you want to mention? You know, podcast? Oh, I, I, I could mention what we've just spent 20 minutes talking about, if you wish. No, no, let's, let's keep <laughs> um, that for Yeah, let's get that for off, off the record. Um, I can't think of anything. I gave my podcast recommendations on Monday night, uh, spoke about. Father's Day. I've read a bit more of my book. I'm going to assume by now because I'm going to assume I've gone to the toilet a few more times. Um, but no, I'm, I, mate, I'll tell you what, we should just get into this episode because I'm excited for the guests we've got. It, it took a little while to get him on just purely because of my pretty lackluster performance in trying to you know, sort of emails out to him. But he was, he was very responsive to us and happy to jump on board. Yeah, he was, mate. And uh, you're speaking of Jason... Hill. He's a co-founder of CrossCoders, which has done some great work in helping uh, a few women make their way over to play in the AFLW and working hard at expanding uh, that to, you know, bring over other sports women and stuff from all around the world to try and, you know, help and strengthen the sports in Australia. And if you have been playing at home, listen to the Cobra Cast. This uh, CrossCoders and Jason's name have come up quite a few times, Leaside Lions, uh, our conversation with Will, president of AFL England, because Jason was the predecessor to Will. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's a it's a magnificent chat, and uh, it's one of the very few ones where we do where we don't really have uh, set questions in front of us. We just sort of go a couple of dot points and sort of wing it. And I honestly don't think we hit half the dot points. It was just a good general conversation and. Uh, it just really some some things in there, Mark, that I honestly don't think I ever would have known about or found out about if it wasn't for this chat. You know, how much the women get paid, when they can train, um, plenty of visas, visa, visa. That, yeah, that was there. It's and that's that's where you come to the Cobra Cast, mate. You, you can go to your Joe Rogan's, your conspiracy theorists, and you come to the Cobra Cast for facts about football around the world. That's it, mate. It's it's all you all we're here for, and that's all what we're going to continue to deliver yeah. is just educating the people on football around the world. Aussie rules getting played by everyone, and mate. Before we get into it, I would like to just mention who's on the show next week because I feel like this club deserves a lot more than just the they're on. 
So Monday night, you will notice also we cut back to Monday, Wednesday. We just figured no point chatting about that because yeah, you, you get used to it. But Monday night, we are going to be chatting to the ones, the Wandsworth Demons. Now, the reason I'm giving them a bit more than just a here they are is they have done some make a fantastic job for our fight M and D. And I think that you know if you're going to join in for one Comcast episode this year to hear about the stuff that clubs around the world do for fundraising, that's the one. Mate, it was unbelievable what they did and the the ideas they came up with and the efforts they went to to raise some money for freeze M and D and um, every little bit helps and they raised a lot. So um, it was fantastic. But mate, let's get into this one on, now. Mate. With wait, 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 wait. but then Wednesday night, your mate. Yeah, my we mate. Have, we have a mate of Rifty on the show. Yep. He's just travelled around over to Germany, found his way over there and thought he'll play some footy. And then he just, yeah, oh, I may as well coach the women's national team as well. So, uh, yeah, Tim, I'm going to chat to him on Wednesday, the coach of the uh, German Eagles women's team. The very heavy uh, women's football week over the next seven days. Yeah, yeah, mate. So, enjoy. Um, enjoy this one with Jason from Crosscoders, mate. It's jam-packed. It's a good one. Have your listening ears on because there's a lot covered. Um, and Wandsworth and Monday and Tim Wednesday. Wednesday. And don't be an armchair expert. No, nah, <laughs> we don't want none of those. But you'll be more of an expert after you listen to this podcast, that's for sure. So enjoy these ones. We'll catch you on the next one. All right, so today we would like to welcome uh, the co-founder of CrossCoders, Jason Hill. Welcome to the show. How you going, guys? Uh, very well. Thanks for joining us, mate. Uh, we do appreciate you taking the time. And well, there's not a, lot, not a lot else left to do for the day since you've already been out for a, your, your daily exercise. Um, you probably can't leave the house again anyway. No, so. exactly. I'm done for the day. It's uh, Mulan on Disney Plus tonight for me and the missus, and that's what we're <laughs> going for. Mate, that sounds like a good night, actually. Um, all right. But before we get into learning about crosscoders, how did you come across Aussie rules over in England in the first place? So this would have been uh, when I first moved to London. I, I actually uh, went on a graduate scheme after graduating university. Um, and one of the girls that happened to be on the graduate scheme um, was a girl named Lisa Wilson. And she... Um, she badgered me for a few months um, when I first moved up to the city. It was like, come on, like you've been to Australia before. Like, so I traveled to Australia in 2011 and, and watched the game, never played, just been like a bit of like most English uh, tourists over here going, what the bloody hell is this? And how in the world do you play this game? And is there any rules to this game? Um, <laughs> and then she managed to, to get me down. And because in the UK it's played in the summer months, um, sort of in between me playing... Uh, football so normal football or soccer um i was like yep yeah, you know what i'll give it a go something to do to keep fit and sort of gave away some of my cricketing uh, uh time and thought yep yeah, this sounds like fun and then three games support the last three games of that season and then sort of very quickly got selected to play for england off the back of that and then made captain of the wimbledon hawks the, the following year and then played my first game for great britain that year as well so you've had quite the career. In, in uh, the I wouldn't say quite the career, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's been a, a meteoric rise from uh, the, um, the not playing the game to playing for GB. But then, to be honest, I mean, there's about 
200, 300 players that would be probably eligible to play for Great Britain in, in the UK most of the time. So it would be, probably be the, that would be the numbers. You'd be competing against not quite the same as trying to play uh, soccer for England where you're competing against 75 million others. Um, so I, I, love, I love my time playing for, for Great Britain. I love playing the World Cup here in the International Cup. That was uh, an amazing experience getting to walk on the G, holding the flag and the like. Um, and it's something I definitely won't forget. And there was meant to be another World Cup this year, but uh, obviously that got delayed as with everything else in the sporting world. But uh, hoping that we, uh, we might see one either next year or the year after. Yeah, fingers crossed that we get one next year. So you mentioned that you played soccer. Yeah. What position did you play in soccer and what position did you transition that into footy? I'm always, played, I'm always curious. Yeah, so, I mean, I played for my, my village club back home for years after I finished university. And I actually played first team football in every single position you can play on a football field. So I have managed to play from goalkeeper through to centre forward and then started my career as a, as a back pocket because in AFL London, you had to have... Uh, eight British players in your uh, your squad in your premiership squad so it was where could we where could we hide the palms I think was the uh, the phrase used when uh, we first came in and then um, have slowly transitioned and uh, been playing centre half forward for Richmond Central this year. Yeah very nice so before we get back on a rifter you know the question I had to ask so who, obviously from England you play the game who do you support in England soccer wise? Oh Newcastle United. Okay, I'll, I'll take that. I'll keep yeah. on. That's no, the so. least offensive club at the moment. So yeah, I that's... don't think anyone's, unless you're a Sunderland fan, I don't think you're ever going to be offended by that one. Yeah, but then even then, there's not that many of them. So, so before again, Rifty, one more question. So have you caught the, the Till I Die Sunderland on Netflix? And if you have watched it, does it give you just great joy seeing how far they've slipped? Um, Yes, yes, I've watched it. Uh, I've watched it, and I've watched it with uh, this smile on my face for pretty much the whole of it. And um, it's actually interesting. I probably have less of a hatred for the club after watching those sort of things because you sort of buy into the characters that are trying to run the club. And I've just it was actually before jumping on this was watching um, the All or Nothing with uh, Tottenham, the uh, Jose Mourinho one on Amazon, um, Amazon Plus, and that. I, I, I was always a fan of Jose and now seeing that I'm a bigger fan of him. I think he's an amazing coach and it now seems like a fairly amazing human being as well. <laughs> All right, well, as an Arsenal fan, you can understand my, reluct my reluctance to go watch that show. I have caught the Man City one and that was pretty, you know, yeah. the, quite in in intriguing. They do a fantastic job. Anyway, yeah. Rifty, Mark, let's get back. Let's get back into what we're here for and something you're interested in. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know a word you guys just said those last <laughs> few minutes, but <laughs> um, that's all right. Um, all right, so let's get in a little about CrossCoders. So what is it? Yeah, so um, I mean, what it is in its entirety is was a global platform to help sportswomen around the world find their first opportunities in professional sports. So obviously, um, I mean, I'm one of the co-founders. One of the other co-founders is Lauren Spark. We, um, we met playing football for the Wimbledon Hawks in London. And she's obviously gone on to, to play in every AFLW uh, season and win the premiership as a Western Bulldog. And when I moved out here a couple of years after she came back, when she got drafted, um, she was looking for what she could potentially do after football. So she's obviously in her, in her early 30s now and was thinking, I mean, this has probably come a bit too late for me to have an extended career playing AFLW. So, but it's given me a taste of what she wanted to do and what she wanted to tend to be involved in for longer term and we were looking at obviously all of the connections we had in 
in football globally in Port Look, if we're going to try and do something where we can give women these opportunities that potentially they don't have in their, their own sports, why not start with AFLW seeing as we have connections into the game through through Lauren, through obviously the Western Bulldogs. And that's what it eventually originally started at. It was meant to be a bit of like a, I mean, you've probably seen them on, um, on TV on various things. I think they had the recruit here where it was like uh, you, you go through these series of trials and you try and win a spot on a on a list. And the original idea with the uh, Western Waters was to do something similar like, to that. And we uh, signed a partnership agreement in the first year to sort of prove the theory that we would go and find uh, a group of girls to bring to Australia to showcase to the Western Bulldogs. Um, but very quickly, the AFL got wind of it and said, unless you want to put that all in the soft cap because uh, you can't be doing something that's for one team and not for the rest of the league, uh, you better open it up to everyone. So we, we I mean, it advanced us on a year uh, earlier than we were going to be, but it was awesome. So that first year, we bought 18 girls around the world from about 120 applicants we had globally. Um, we had applicants from all sorts of random countries, random sports. I mean, I think we had... a. Uh, uh, a jiu-jitsu fighter from Sweden, we had someone from Russia, we had a couple of girls from Pakistan, we had girls from the USA, Canada, Wales, Ireland, pretty much you, France, Germany, you name the countries, we probably had an applicant from them and we brought out 18 girls, um, I think 12 were Irish, we had a couple of Americans, a Canadian, a Brit, uh, a, a French girl and a Fijian girl and uh, we basically brought them to Melbourne around grand final week of 2018 and just put them through their paces. We did a combine at Victoria University. We um, put them through a load of skill drills and I mean, yeah, I think it was four days in, we just surprised them and said, hey, we're actually bringing together all these girls that play VFLW. You're going to play a game against them. We've only got 18 players, so there's no subs, no rotations. You're going to just run out four quarters and see how you go. And they, the final score was 56-2 or something in our favour in the end. So safe to say these... Um, these girls were pretty amazing sportswomen. And uh, then off the back of that, we had Yvonne Bonner um, and Ailish Considine signed straight away to rookie contracts at UWS and um, the Adelaide Crows. Um, surprisingly enough, the Bulldogs didn't actually take someone as a rookie, but they made up for it in the draft, um, selecting Ash McCarthy at the start of the second round, which again blew our minds that someone that they literally had met for the first time a month ago suddenly jumped up to the second round in, in the uh, the national draft. So I think it very much proved to us that there was exceptional talent around the world that could transition into the sport. And that grew again last year when we, I think we had another nine players signed off the back of that. And then um, off, we've um, started a small representative agency so we can represent the girls, um, two clubs uh, in an official capacity as well. So do represent a few a few Australian players now in uh, the likes of Bonnie Tugard, uh, Kirsten McLeod from the Western Bulldogs, Liz Jordan-Shadzis uh, from the Western Bulldogs, and then um, Soap Abbotton-Jello from uh, North Melbourne and Natalie Plain from Carlton as well. So uh, it's developed into a sort of a dual pathway, sort of pathway for bringing players over, but also helping them while they're here, make sure that they get looked after, have housing, all this sort of stuff that yeah, that, that's fantastic. So, you know, for them to come out here, <clears throat> play a game against a VFLW team and beat them convincingly, and then have some, one of them players go second round in the draft, that must give uh, giving you guys confidence. What you were doing, you know, it had you know, the, 
there was a genuine future there for it. It wasn't just you bring players across and then nothing happens. But to have someone go second round, it's, it's impressive and probably you know, shows that there is something there with cross coders. A hundred percent. And I think that it's, I mean, if you look at all women's sport right now, I'd say that the globalization side of it outside of soccer probably hasn't happened too dramatically. I mean, if we look at the A, the W League, sorry, here in, in Australia, it would be very Australian dominant, maybe some Kiwis and the like um, in there. But then if you look at um, rugby codes here, again, very much from local sort of, I guess, neighbouring countries at most. Um, and I think that that's a, tr- a trend we're going to start to see. Um, obviously, the American collegiate system is probably the, the most advanced when it comes to finding talent around the world and bringing them to college but then that's sort of where it stopped at the moment for a lot of women's sport um but i can see it, it being working both ways in the in the future i don't see this limited to just bringing uh internationals into australian sport i see this as bringing australians into an into, into international sport and the international arena as well because i think you'll you'll start to see very quickly especially in the northern hemisphere um, everything I'm seeing when it comes to, say, rugby union is the the sort of professionalisation of the women's game and how it sort of is following similar trend patterns to what the AFLW is doing here um, for, for women's sport. And I think that we'll start to see that quickly explode. And obviously, there's some very talented rugby players here in Australia that I'm sure will be looking for, for careers in that sport rather than having to do it as a, as a sort of um, a part-time maybe here or even an, an amateur sport because I mean even our Super W League um, in, in Australia there's no payments uh, associated to it until you play sort of Wallabies level so it's I think it's um, it's a trend that's going to continue and obviously we've been looking at okay well as the AFLW grows and the, um, the the talent pipeline does start to obviously guess beef out at the under 18 level, it's like you've got to stay a step ahead of that, right? So one of two things has got to happen: either um, players internationally need to take a step up in terms of standard, there needs to be a better um, guess structure across the game globally that the AFL probably needs to look into with a bit more depth. Um, but obviously that's extremely revenue, uh, sorry, resource heavy, which is going to take a lot of funding and I'm sure if Will was on this call he'd be like yes doing one of these uh, <laughs> saying yes please give AFL England some money to, uh, to help um, make that a reality but if not then we probably need to start to look into some of the list management rules and how you do create sort of category B rookies for international talent and the like that's obviously helped the likes of Mason's Cox in the men's game take a couple of years to develop before being ready to, to compete at AFL level. Yeah I think there's a lot of opportunities out there, and especially for the women's game that is growing so rapidly. And, um, you know, they sort of, the, the, the worries with the women's game was always about it expanding too quick and being, you know, the talent pool then getting stretched thin across all those different teams. But um, you guys are doing great work with helping uh, bring, you know, international talent over. And especially when there's a lot of places in the world where the game that's, indigenous to their country be it rugby or whatnot it doesn't suit every athletic woman out there to play those types of games so um you know we've found throughout our travels of talking to all these clubs around the world that there's plenty of women that are finding aussie rules because you know they don't like running head first at each other playing rugby or um you know they they weren't that great at soccer or whatever it may be and they've found that they've they still like to have a, the physical side of football, but, you know, 
again, they're not just running at each other like a rugby sort of game. And there's, you know, varying body types that, you know, suit, suit uh, that style of game more than, you know, rugby sort of suits a one's, one's type yeah. of body. Exactly. And I think it's, um, like you said, it's going to only explode. I think, like, uh, obviously, I think COVID has set everything back if we, if we take a step back, just because of the fact that I feel like travel will slow down for a bit. There will be natural anxiety when it comes to moving around um, through countries like people would have done a year ago without even a second thought about it. But I do think that there's definitely an opportunity for um, not just um, like the AFL, but I mean, if I, if I take a, a look at women's sport in Australia, they have a real chance to, um, I guess, get ahead of the game and, and set a, I mean, a bit of a stake in the ground. We saw, obviously, the amazing success that the Women's World Cup had in the cricket, um, what was it, maybe six months ago now, seven months ago at the start of the year, and how amazing that was and the, the sort of uh, TV viewer for chip figures, the people turning up at grounds, how well that was supported, that if um, at government and uh, uh, administration board level there was a look into okay well how do we attract the best talent in the world from the sports that we play in this country to australia what do we need to do in terms of creating pathways and creating like ease of access through visas because that's one of the biggest difficulties the irish um, and american athletes that play in the aflw have is the the limitations on the visas because they're, they're pretty much set up for the guys right like if you come here on an elite sporting visa, you're, the expectation is that you will only play that sport. Um, so therefore, that's the only thing that needs to pay you. So that's fine when you're earning 100,000, 200,000, 300,000, or you're Usain Bolt earning a million dollars for running in a race. But when you're earning 16,000 on the base salary of an AFLW contract, it's very hard to make ends meet. And I'm sure the visa was set up in not thinking about this ever being a a pathway or something that would ever come up as a problem because obviously professional sports players are normally paid at a reasonable rate so they don't have to think about this stuff but I think that if you now looked okay well what do we want the W League to be what do we want the Super W to be what do we want the AFLW to be do we want to see Australia to be seen as a leading light for women's sport globally that's attracting the best talent in the world rather than that soccer talent going off to uh, the Premier League or going off to play in the WMLS or somewhere like that or even when we're talking about basketball because obviously we've seen a huge expansion in the NBL here in Australia could we do something similar so that our players aren't going off to college in the US and then getting picked up by the WNBA or the like because I guess that then becomes the question could you turn Australia into the mecca of women's sport or at least to a global player where outside of maybe the AFL and the NRL um, and cricket, we probably don't have that many sports that are of the elite standard that, that would stand up on a global uh, global scale. I don't know you, Rifty, but I never knew knew that about the uh, the visa. Yeah, it's um, the the little things, those little uh, you know um, things that they probably never th- had to think of when they were creating those visas. With you know. Um, like you said, a elite sporting visa, like even just saying that it's a, it's an elite, you come here as an elite sport. So obviously you wouldn't need to work another job, but yeah, <laughs> when you're not exactly. getting, when you're getting, when you, you're getting more to work at McDonald's. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, that's, that's the case for some of these girls. It's like, we, it's even though 
the AFLW is held to such high standards when it comes to TV coverage, when it comes to media coverage, when it comes to the general sporting fan or the general AFL fan. They 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 hold these these now sportswomen to such high account because it's like, hey, if you're going to play a professional sport, you should be professional. But in reality, they're limited to I think it's 15 hours of contact time a week because they're the the, the pay is so low because it's pro rated against the men's hourly pay. So looking at this, it's like um, if you're the armchair sports fan, you're going, oh, this is rubbish because the girls aren't able to do this or that, or they're not as quick as the men, or they're not as agile as the men, or they're not being able to play to that level. You then look into the what's causing that. I wouldn't say it's the the the, the want or the actual raw talent of the, the, the players. It's the fact that the environment they're in, they're allowed to train 15 hours a week for six months of the year, um, and they haven't played in this setup for more than four years now. So I mean, what do you expect? Like you, the fact that they've come from probably here to here in a four-year period is exceptional. And the fact that, that every time I go to a game, it looks better, it looks quicker, it looks more agile, it looks more fun. Um, and it now, I think, comes to the point now where we are starting to see such a, a radical shift to the, the, the girls wanting more. And that's not in terms of wanting more money. They just want more opportunities to play. Um, and be put into not a small window in the season, but also maybe a longer season and whatever that needs to look like. I'm sure when we come to the next collective bargaining agreement at the end of the 2022 season, I, I, I do believe there'll be a strong push for a, a, at least a, a six-month uh, season and then obviously a three-month pre-season where the girls will move into something which is more like a professional sport. Yeah, we had a... I don't know what might have been with... Uh, American podcast we were on talking about footy and I've mentioned that I'd like to see the AFLW become effectively pretty much like a uh, so AFL go back to reserve setup so if AFL go back and be the VFL let them be what they should be yeah AFL reserve setup and AFLW setup so the AFL can go play the seniors can play their games in the MCG but say for example North Melbourne plays Geelong North Melbourne will play Geelong in the AFL reserves and before or after, North Melbourne will play along the AFLW, make it a full season. Because at the moment, I understand the AFL are trying to do the right thing, but I think the way they've set it up just doesn't help. As you said, they get $16,000 to be playing a professional sport and only get 15 hours a week. It's, you know, like, again, something I never knew was the case. I, and I think that's the issue is that you, you mentioned armchair experts and they sit there because they don't know. And it's literally... Yeah. They sit there and they think they know, we know blokes that think they know everything and you tell that to them, they would go, oh, I didn't know that. So, And that's the thing, unless you're stuck in the CBA every day because you're representing players and you're trying to work out what tiers they can be on and how much money they can actually earn and you're having to explain this to them, you wouldn't know. You, all you see is the headline figure is the AFL invests $8 million a year in the AFLW and then, then they ha the same fans are like, well, why are you investing money in this and then taking away money from that? And it's like, it's, it's a bit of a, until someone comes out and explains that to everyone, it's, it's very hard to sort of like, not, I, I understand the position. It's not something I, something I agree with, definitely not, but it's equally, I can understand the frustration, the anger when they're, you're so caught up in what's happening over here and you don't know what's happening over here. You, you will naturally want to throw stones and throw rocks. if You think it's going to take away from something you love. Um, but I, I think you, you're right. There's got to be some sort of alignment. I'm, I'm personally, I really like the fact that the AFLW starts 
um, in that sort of January, February period because it gives itself some oxygen to get going. I'd love to see a six-month sort of season that then runs from then into, say, July when the grand finals are in July before the men's gets towards its finality. Because then you'd have two sets of amazing, like, finals happening. And then when the sort of AFL hits a bit of a lull period towards that July time when you're like, Man, we sort of know who's going to make the eight. We're sort of not so fussed about these teams anymore. I'm a bit off football because it's been happening for so long by now. Like, that would be a great time to be able to host, like, AFLW finals, get them all up and about, maybe have them in some of the bigger stadiums um, during the same times as men's games there for, like, championship, like, get you to that premiership, get you to something. And then, obviously, then that sort of follows into the, the full carnival of football that then lasts for two months. And it's like, finals in the women's to finals in the men's and you'd be like wow this is like an explosion of football that really matters um and i think something like that i I do think that there has to be some crossover but i don't think it has to be complete the whole season because the one thing i i really think about is if i'm the fan going oh i've got to sit here for four hours in the freezing cold g nah i'm probably just going to turn up for one of the games and it might be like the women's game or the men's game and how do you tick it if only one wants to see one or not the other and like it becomes a bit of a mess and like there's nothing more demoralizing than running out on a pitch and you see people turning up with five minutes to go in the the final quarter because they're there for the game after you not the game that you've just played and you just like put your heart sweat blood and tears onto the uh onto the the hallowed turf and you're like no one actually came to see me so i think there's a bit of both in there and um, i do like it when you do have curtain raises but i just i feel like middle of winter in melbourne that would be my worst nightmare having to sit in the in the, the, the top tier of the MCG freezing me nuts off. Yeah, that's a fair point. So I've always been under the impression that the AFL do this you know, the, a buy round, like three or four clubs have a buy each weekend. I'm a very big believer in just have the one buy round. Everyone have the buy. And I've always sort of said they should just have the under 18 state carnival that week. I've changed my mind. They should just have, so you said, start the AFLW season in, say, January, February. Run it up to July. AFL have a buy. Every team have a buy. AFLW grand final, Saturday afternoon MCG in, in July. Amazing. It, yeah. It's its own game. It's the only game of footy on, which means that you, the people that don't even want to watch women's sport will tune into it because it's the only footy on in the middle of a footy season. And the, the media will completely avert the attention towards it. It gets the attention it deserves. I think that there is definitely a way to create a conjoined calendar where you give preference to different things at different points, depending on the importance of those points. And I don't think it has to be competing. I feel like it can be in that exact way you sort of just described there, like completely, if the AFL is trying to be, I believe the AFL is, and it's like have everyone's attention at every minute of every hour of every year, like this is a way to do it. You now have almost two sports that you don't need the AFL X and the gimmicky sort of other stuff. To, to do it you've actually got like two leading code sports in male and female sport in australia use them in a way that you then can take nine out of the 12 months or 10 out of the 12 months out of the calendar to be football focused um and i think we've proved that in the aflw you do get a lovely like i love going out to the old like stadiums because i never had that as a kid growing up you'd go and watch football at icon park or you'd go out to witten oval or you'd go to West Fremantle or something like that, like all of these different like smaller grounds that I would never have got to experience as a, as a Brit coming to Australia unless the AFLW was there. And it creates such a different atmosphere to 
sitting in the MCG, drinking your $12 hot meat shrimp and eating your $18 pie, um, because you've got like your local brewer there selling beers, you've got um, like kids running around, and it's just a, I think it's a, a very different sort of crowd, which I really love. Yeah, yeah so and I, it's I, I love the fact that they local ground. Like I'm, we live, I live a stone throw from Casey Fields. Yeah, so I'm right up the ground from Melbourne. The windiest place in the world. I have played on Casey Fields, and it is atrocious. Yes. I'm hoping that the new bigger. Uh, uh, performance center they've built for the AFL Melbourne Demons AFLW team does block a bit of the wind off, but I'm, I'm looking forward. They're probably on the other end as well. Yeah, into a bowl. Yeah, I, I'm I'm looking forward to my you know the age of my daughter gets old enough to know what's going on and taking her to see women play yeah. a professional sport. But um, so you mentioned before that when you guys first started, you had 120 applicants and you narrowed it down to how many you said. Sorry, I forgot. 18. Yeah, 18. That's right. I thought it was 12. That's not right. Um. What? How did you guys work out which 18s? Like, what were the things that you looked for? In yeah, so we did a few down. things, right? We um, basically said, hey, if you want to do this, send us videos of you doing these skills. So we got Sparky out on an oval. We took some videos. We got them out onto YouTube. And we're like, hey, these are what we consider, like, core skills of this game. So just, like, basic things, hand, pull, hand passing, kicking, rolling the ball out, picking it off the floor, going to catch it up high. Like, real simple stuff. And we're like, Use whatever ball you have. Like, I don't care if it's a soccer ball, a Gaelic ball, a rugby ball, whatever you can get your hands on. Because at the end of the day, we want to see the mechanics of how you do stuff. Right? We don't really care what you're doing it with. And um, we don't see need to see you hit the perfect kick pass yet. It's just a case of how do you kick the ball? And then obviously, on top of that, all we want is your sporting CV. What sport have you played? Where have you played? What level have you played at? And me and Sparky became experts all of a sudden in okay well, we need to dive, uh, decipher all of these sporting leagues around the world and start to work out okay well what levels this at how does that compare to that um and i mean in the first instance when we when we launched this to try and get some traction we reached out to probably 200 athletes across the world that we thought hey this might be of interest to you like commonwealth games athletes like uh, gaelic footballers and um, people in that played soccer in the USA and stuff like this, and um, people that play rugby in England, we just sort of just thought, let's cast a bit of a net and let's see what comes back. And I think people just started sharing it, being like, what's this? Have you seen this? Is this interesting? Is this real? And um, you speak to the girls now, and I reckon out of the 18 we bought here, 12 probably thought this was a scam and they thought they were going to turn up to the airport and get abducted. But um, <laughs> People apply, so it's, it's amazing what social media can do. You put something out into the world and eventually if it's interesting enough, people will start to share it, people will start to, uh, I guess, put it around. And then we obviously, through my contacts being the president of AFL England, I knew the president of AFL Wales, Scotland, Ireland, France, Germany, USA, Canada, and just like, hey, we're doing this. Like, We'd love for some of your athletes, some of your best athletes to, to apply for it. Please share this around. And if they want us to review who they are and what they do, just get them to fill an application. There's no cost to the application. And I mean, this could end up in them coming from a, for a free trip to Melbourne to try out for an AFLW team. So uh, obviously, every everyone pretty much jumped on board, being like, hey, this is cool. It's from these guys over here. Why don't you go check them out? And if you want to apply, go for it. Um, and then we got applicants from a lot of the different AFL um, leagues as well. And obviously that's where me and Sparky knew most of the players. We were able to very quickly work out what standard they were, like what their vision looked like and all this sort of stuff and use that to then pull some players out of the um, the AFL um, community globally. Like 
Frankie Hocking from um, GB. She um, had played for Great Britain in the last World Cup. Uh, Colleen, she'd played for France and the European Crusaders. Um, Ailish Constantine, who got picked up, had actually been playing um, AFL in Ireland for, for West Clare. Um, so there have been players, and then obviously we had actually the two Americans we brought out had both played for USA team, and um, the Canadian had played for a the AFL Canada team. So we were able to find some of the, the highly talented players out of the um, out of the actual, I guess, pathways that the AFL had set up themselves, but not really giving them a way to even step through to this level. Um, and then now Frankie played for. Kilda in the VFL last year, April played for Essendon in the VFL last year as well, and then Ash Curley, who came over from Ireland, has been playing um, for Collingwood in the VFL and won the VFL Premiership last year. So even if they haven't made the AFL level, there are players then making the VFL level as well. So they, they're coming into the pathway in different areas, which is obviously great because some of these players do need to develop their, their core skills or develop their learning of the game, and if they can get into the VFL to do it, there's... Um, some great setups there that are starting to expand as well. Yeah, very nice. So you've mentioned a couple of these girls that have come over and then they've played in a premiership that year. And it's uh, pretty remarkable that girls are getting that, you know, their, their first year at a sort of semi or professional level of football and then they're, they're playing in premierships. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Ailish Considine, literally, she... They, I'd never been to Australia, got on a plane in September 2018, got signed by the Adelaide Crows, had never even heard of Adelaide as a place, let alone um, um, what their football team was. Um, got signed that year, flew back out in October, and then in February she kicked a goal in the grand final in front of 55,000 at the Adelaide Oval. I mean, there doesn't get a better success story for anyone than that in terms, as far as I'm concerned, it's like, being plucked out of tiny little, a tiny, tiny village in the, the west of Ireland and then turning that into playing in front of 55,000 in a live TV audience um, and having your parent, your mum fly over, your brother and your sister to watch you kick a goal in the grand final. Like that is just, like when, when, we, when that happened for us, I couldn't have been happier for her that she took the chance, we gave her that opportunity, we helped her get here and then... She's like completely taken that with both hands and then I guess had every athlete's dream of, of winning and being able to do that in front of like that big of a crowd. And something like that is good for um, cross-coders and you as well because she's going to go back to Ireland after the season and go, I played in front of 55,000, this, that, the other. And people are going to be going, oh, wait a minute, hold on. What's, what is this? And trying to grow the game that way. A hundred percent. Like, I mean, in terms of what I think this has done for AFL Ireland as a, as a minimum is that it's created awareness of the sport that didn't exist, right? And if you look at the campaigns that are now happening in, in Ireland, there's a, I don't know if you've come across 20 by 20, it's like the idea for their, them is to have 20% of media coverage by the year 2020 be around female sport. Um, and now that it's not just, they're not just now focusing on Irish sports, so they're not looking at Irish rugby and Gaelic football and hurling and camogie and the like. It's actually that they're now celebrating the fact that there was like it was 15 Irish girls in the AFLW last year and that 14 of them are coming back this year. So it's now celebrating like our sport and their influence on it. So it's been great for the globalization and the understanding of what the AFL is within a whole different community in, in Ireland. Because I think that if you'd probably asked most Irish girls two years ago, if there was an, 
a women's version of the AFL, which they hear about some of these 18-year-old guys going off to. Because I think that's the biggest difference, right? It's like the AFL takes guys from Ireland at 18. So they're not big names. They might be a big name in their county as this up-and-coming player that is about to, that's just left um, to go off and look for a professional career. But the girls that have come out of the Irish um, league, they're the best players in Ireland. Like People like Sarah Rowe is... On pretty much the face of women's um, Gaelic football in Ireland, like it would be the equivalent of us taking Dusty Martin and putting him in Gaelic football. Like that's how big of a deal it was for them. So when you look at people like her and Cora Staunton and Yvonne Bonner and Ash McCarthy and the like, these are the best players in their county, the best players in their competition making this move. So it's attracted a different type of athlete to the men's, and I think that that alone is then. One, it's helped them create awareness of our sport there, but it's also turned these these girls into, I guess, bigger stars in their home um, towns and in their, their home country as well, because they're now seen as more than just, hey, she plays Taylor's football and she's very good at it. It's actually, no, she's now representing Ireland in a different sport in a different country, because I think they take that very seriously, that you're not just flying your personal flag, you're flying the country flag um, when you are playing a sport abroad because, again, most of the Gaelic games don't have the ability to be played against, say, England or against Scotland or against the USA. It is very much uh, you play for your county and this is your opportunity to represent your country. Yeah, it's um, something we've spoke to a few Irish clubs and we've been lucky to speak to a couple of Irish girls that play and it's been great to hear you know, you mentioned a fair few names and I'm terrible with names. So, But I know some of those names have come up in conversations that we've had with girls that, you know, uh, we're talking to girls in Ireland, we're asking them who their favourite player is and they're coming out with AFLW players that it's because she's from the county that, you know, I grew up in or whatever or, you know, I've watched her play Gaelic and now she's over there playing Aussie Rules. So um, it's, it's awesome that you've helped some of these women get over here and that they're having success and growing it even bigger. And I know the Irish, even the Irish guys have a lot of pride knowing that there's a lot of Irish girls, you know, what was it? 14 Irish girls that are on AFLW lists. And, um, you know, there's outside of Australians, that's the most, uh, you know, represented country is Ireland in, in uh, AFLW. And I know that's come up a couple of times that they're very proud of that, that they can say that. Yeah, I'd, I'd really like to see a, um, it not even compromised rules. Um, I'd actually really love to see an international rules series where it's maybe even just the AFLW girls that play from Ireland playing against the All-Australian team. Because I think that what I think there was 18 last year, maybe off the top of my head. So there's some girls that play at the second tier as well in the VFL. You could very quickly make a a squad of 21 or 22 that would be able to then take on Australia in Australia in a free match series. And I think that based on what we saw with the, uh, the AFL girl, the, sorry, the Irish girls coming over in our camp and playing against the VFL girls and not having more than four days to prepare for that. Um, it could be a very interesting game because um, I think they would be very contrasting styles as well. So, I'd love to see it, and it's something we've definitely spoken about with the girls, and I think they'd be very much up for it. It's just a case of now logistically being able to put it on, I'd say. Yeah, that, mate, that'd be a cracking thing uh, to, to get going. It, mate, that, that could be the one where you could get the men's you know, um, international rules game at the same time, have the AFL, AFL men's and the AFLW best 
best players going against the Irish best players in a uh, international rules game. That'd be cracking, I reckon. I think so. I think it would be a fascinating watch. Um, they always seem to have a little bit of spark about them in the men's, and I'm sure the women's would be no different. And also, one of the things, you know, you mentioned the international um, cup that was supposed to be a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Up in Sunshine Coast. Uh, is that something you guys were looking at as a way to, to sort of identify talent that's, you know, already over here for, to help you with cross-coders as well? Yeah, to an extent. And um, it was definitely something that we'd spoken about. Um, even being there just to, I guess, show face as much as anything, because we want to be able to help the international community both ways. It's not just how do we take and bring here, but how do we give back in terms of can we help with coaching? Can we help with introductions? Can we help create pathways? Just what is it the issue you're having? Is, and even do you want to come and play um, AFL at a, a different level here? Because, I mean, there'll be some that do and there'll be some that don't, because it's not just how do you get into the AFLW, because that is now becoming a bigger and bigger step. Every single year we go down, it's now going further and further away from the amateur game, and that's not just internationally, that's here in Australia. But there's got to be a way to bridge that gap in different ways, whether that's bring people into club football, into state-level football, or into AFL football. And it was something we were discussing with some of the universities around, could you provide scholarships to exceptional athletes who were looking to transition into different sports so I think there is um, plenty of opportunity there I think having so many Irish girls come over has opened up a lot of the club's eyes to the possibility of finding different sport recruits um, it was always something I think they thought about but did, and they also didn't know how to access this group of players wherever they were in the world it's not like you they would just get on a plane turn up in Ireland and hope see some kicking around in a field it was um, I think they were just like that's in the too hard basket I'm just going to go well, what's right in front of my my nose right now so look I think there is um, an opportunity there in the international cup I think that opportunity is getting smaller with every year so I think the the question probably comes back to the AFL and what their international strategy actually looks like and what the purpose of the international strategy is is it to create exceptional athletes or attract exceptional athletes to bring into the professional game or is it just to just try the community level game game around the world and I think that's confused a little bit at the moment where it's I'm trying to do a bit of both and I'm not really putting any focus or dollar figures in the bank uh, behind either of them um, and if you then maybe look at but are we just going to focus on one and that one is the key one then I think that there'll be more success and then it's a case of how do you how do you how do you basically uh, deliver on that so I think there is a bit of both I mean I was looking forward to it and I was um, still hoping to get selected I mean I'm pushing the age now I'm 31 turning 32 so probably just uh, if it doesn't happen next year I might be uh, a couple of years removed from it but I'll, uh, I'll give it another crack at Richmond for a couple more years and uh, fingers crossed I can stay fit and you never know. Uh, you'll be right but I think one of the things you might find is the the women's teams that start coming over for the international cup are, are going to get stronger. Yeah. Especially if they start, you know, the word starts spreading about you guys and the programs you guys have is that um, the girls are going to come over now with the attitude that it's not just about winning that grand final as an international cup, that there's now an opportunity outside of that, that if they do come over to Oz and, and, you know, have a good showing over here in the international cup, that there's, 
that's a further pathway that they could explore and um definitely and i think that then that comes back to a, a couple of things um, from that point of view it's one how do we enable the um the local administrators to attract that level of a player from another sport so someone that is disillusioned with rugby that's been playing at the collegiate level in the uk or someone that has been playing gaelic football and has got to the point where they've achieved everything they want to achieve or someone that is in the usa that um has been playing elite volleyball um as a woman going and then that's just the end of their career because they didn't have a professional league to go in and they're still looking to be a professional sportswoman it's like how do we capture the attentions of these sort of people and bring them into a pathway? I think that's got to be the key uh, focus point for um, these groups of countries or these um, administrators, because if they can do that well, then we're going to be starting to see some very talented athletes coming over into the um, international cups and the like. And then the, 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 I guess the AFL's point of view of that has got to be okay, how do we provide a way to bring talented athletes into a system where they can then learn the game and that's got to be a category of a rookie signing similar to the category b that the irish or the um, internationals come over on because if there isn't that mechanism and the clubs have to go on just the 30 players that they have on their list it's really hard to say that australian that has been playing the sport since i'm six years old and potentially a lot better player right now I'm going to take a punt on maybe a better athlete but they've got to do a lot of learning of the game without having the the chance to develop them without the pressure of them having to play week in week out yeah well one of the we spoke to um guys from AFL Europe uh Ollie yep. and um Dan Jackson and one of their focuses, uh, uh, big focuses for them is, you know, that developing elite talent and identifying elite talent overseas um, and especially with the women. So hopefully um, that can continue and they can, can you know, get everyone on board and, and mate, we are, we're trying our best to help uh, promote the women's game all around the world ourselves with, uh, with our podcast and because you know, we're also looking at starting a women's team up at our awesome. club. Um, if you know anybody that's in your travels that would make a good coach for us, we're currently looking for one. So yeah, yeah, we're on the look for, look for <laughs> oh, I'm coach. sure I can. Uh, I'm sure I can find one or two. Um, there's definitely actually a very good uh, up and coming coach. He actually took the Darabin job in the women's this year. A guy called Mitch Skelly. He um, he was the coach of Wandsworth Demons when I was in London, and then he stepped up and did the England stuff, and then he came over here and coached. Um, local football and now he's taken his first head coach role at uh, VFL level so he's definitely been a big advocate of the women's game for a while now and he's starting to reap those rewards so fingers crossed there'll be a VFLW season in some sort next year for him because I think the hard work he's put in he definitely deserves to, to at least be able to coach a game it's uh but seeing what's happened with Richmond and then with taking out their, their VFLW squad, I'm, I'm a bit worried for where that uh, competition is going to be next year at the moment. Is, is Darabin like the powerhouse of the VFL? Are they the one that won so many premierships in so many years? I think they were before the AFLW kicked oh. around. Like, And then obviously a lot of the standalone clubs like disbanded, but also all of their players that went on to play at the AFL level then had to play for the affiliate club, whether that's KC, whether that's 
the VU Spurs, I think it was in the first year, or Melbourne Uni, or with North Melbourne. So I think that there was a, I mean, without going too much into history, it looks like there was a lot of power struggles in the VFLW and when it became, uh, I guess, part of the AFLW and that pathway. And I think that there was a lot of uh, angst and a lot of anger with some of the standalone clubs that couldn't afford to pay the, uh, the new entry fees and the like, and they were sort of forced out of the competition. Yeah, I'm a, in the VFL, I'm a Franks and Dolphins fan, so yeah. obviously unaligned. So I can, I know how painful that's been for me for the last decade with the you know, no affiliation. So I couldn't imagine how it would have been for them clubs to be you know, like Darwin Powerhouse and all of a sudden it's sort of stripped back from them. But uh, unfortunately, it is what it is. And hopefully, you know, it's, it's fantastic that he's managed to do the work and get himself a head job in the VFL. It's, yeah. just, you know, it's fantastic. Um. So crosscoders do things like uh, talent programs, education programs, junior junior academies. So what are these type of things that you guys run? Yeah. So outside of this sort of talent pathway, the the other stuff that obviously we've we've really noticed when we were working through with uh, the players and helping them is like there's just not that much support for a woman's player outside of hey here's your two training sessions a week and maybe a game. Um, there isn't a lot of research that's been done into the biomechanics of the female body and how they should be trained compared to a male athlete. It's like, here's the male stuff we do. You guys do it. And like, let's hope for the best. Like they don't look into the specifics of like the strength and conditioning programs that maybe a female athlete should be doing because obviously, I mean, this is not my area of speciality. This is where one of our other co-founders, she's a, a leading mind in, strength and nutrition and wellness for females. And I mean, she talks about the fact that there is a slight change in the, the hips of females. So therefore that means that they're more likely to do ACL injuries. So therefore you have to train them differently to make sure that there is more strength around the knee. So it's less likely to, to buckle under the sort of strain and stress of a, an AFL game, which obviously requires a lot of agile, very quick sharp twists and turns, which is obviously why we see so many AFL players and the men's even injure their, their ACLs. So a lot of the work we do in the sort of education space would sit in that sort of stuff. So it's that wellness, it's the nutrition, it's the, um, the strength and conditioning, because I mean, especially before they get to a, um, an elite level, there's, there's no help unless the, the player goes out and looks for it. But I mean, how do they know to look for it? It's almost that, that famous way of looking at it is like, you don't know what you don't know. So if you don't know, you should know it, then how you know you've got to go and find it. So it's starting to provide uh, resources, starting to provide courses, seminars, et cetera, so that players of any sport can start to learn about the sort of things they should care about, whether that's mindset. Obviously, there's been a lot of um, chat around mindset during this time because it is very hard to train by yourself. Um, my girlfriend's found it as difficult as anyone else. Like just, and even just training with just me, it's like, you almost get exhausted of seeing the same person and only the same person, the same person doing the same drills. And listen, how do you stay motivated for your goal when you don't know how well you're improving, how you compare to others, what they're doing? Like all of these little things that we just take for granted because we go to a training session and we see how we're getting better or we play a game and we kick two goals when before we'd never kicked a goal and all of this little stuff. It's like them constant reinforcement factors of, um, uh, achievement we don't get so it's like being able to just provide content provide resources provide um, ways that they can um, access this sort of stuff so that they're not feeling like they're, they're not learning and um, 
they're not feeling like they're missing out. And then if I go into the junior stuff, it's just for being able to provide them a way to to get the um, uh, the education they need. Because I mean, if you look at most junior clubs, it's all about how do we play the game on a Saturday? Can we win the game on a Saturday? How many coaches really like spend the time to work one on one with a player to improve their ball drop, their kicking technique? They might get you might get 20 kids to one coach and they've got an hour a week and it, you might be lucky if you get two minutes of the coach's attention one-on-one to help you improve. So just being able to provide different types of training and different types of pathway for, for juniors as well so that they can improve if they want to improve. Because, I mean, I think we're going to see more and more that, especially after lockdown, the kids would have been used to so much one-on-one training, whether that's getting a Zoom video and working on one-on-one stuff, whether that's, having your dad kicking with you in the back garden, whether that's you watching Joe Wicks in the UK, but you're by yourself, so you feel like you're having that one-on-one connection with your coach. It's like, you're going to need to look to replicate that in the future. I can't see how we're going to go back to just this idea that it's 20 kids to one person and they're going to be happy with how they're developing and how quick they're developing and the like. So, and I think that's going to be an education problem in the school in the school environment as much as it is in, in sport. So, I think there's some work we all need to do here about how do we help our, our athletes, how do we help our whatever learn in a way that's now going to be more conducive to the way they expect to learn because I think we've all seen the world's changed fairly dramatically in six months and I don't think uh, we're ever going to go back to what we were six months ago. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think you, you're 100% right with during this period where yeah, the training by yourself, or you're training with one person. You don't understand what you've, you're doing. Like, I ruptured my Achilles last year. So, pretty much the day before Australia got, Melbourne got locked in the first time, I was coming back for my first training session with the group. I then went off over that first lockdown and done my own training by myself. And was thinking I was doing really, really well and I was ready to get back out and playing. It then training open back up. And that very first night training, I realized I was nowhere near where I thought I was because my mind's telling me, yep, you're good, but you weren't doing, as my physio said, you're not doing things as simple as like pushing for the footy, not marking yeah. a ball. Like you can kick a footy and mark it, but you don't have to push for yourself where when you're training with somebody, which she said, you do take for granted because you're doing it hundred times a night training. But when you're by yourself, you don't get that. Um, it just doesn't yeah, happen. Pushed by the people around you, like there's there's a lot of studies obviously out there. They're around like when you are in a group, you want to push yourself to the level of the group, right? And it might be that the group is of a standard, so therefore you try and push yourself to be of that same standard, and you get that that almost dragged along by the people around you. And um, if you're not feeling mentally that fresh when you turn up to training, like having a different problem to focus your mind on, again, it's going to change your attitude. It's going to change the way you're interacting. Whereas I know what I'm like. I finish work in this room right now. I walk down the stairs and maybe go for a run, but I'm still thinking about the same problem because I haven't had any different interactions. I'm still like, my head's a bit in the work. I'm not fully committed to my running because, and also the other thing is, how do you, you have to set goals right now because like, I don't know when we're going to go back to playing football. So I don't know when I'm trying to get ready for. So why am I running right now? Like, it might be that we don't play football for another year. So what, what, what am I, what's the point of me doing all this running right now if I'm going to be doing it for a whole year to get ready to play football? So like, so there's, there's even the mental side of things like that is like, okay, well, how do I set personal goals about different sort of things? It's like, okay, I want to run a 
four minute kilometer or whatever that is it's because it's for me and it's a personal goal now rather than it being ready for something I don't know if I'm ever going to need to be ready for or I don't even know when I'm going to get ready for it so it's just reframing some of the questions but I think you like until you sort of hear that from someone else sometimes like you don't even think about it and you get lost in this like I guess mental muddle where you do two or three four five six weeks and you just feel like what have I achieved yeah, especially as as people that play a team sport, um, and like you said, when you don't know if you're going to get to play footy for in six months or a year's time. Please, please don't say another year. I I can't miss three years of footy. Two years has killed me. Two years has killed me. It's like, Rifty, could you imagine how insufferable I'd be if I missed one more season with being three games off my life membership? Ah, oh, yeah, well, you've been pretty bad as it is. <laughs> so, then, can you imagine another season of me constantly saying three more games, three more yeah, games? Yeah, but yeah, like you said, it. Um, you don't even think about it. But when you're, you know, it's your off season. You're going to do preseason. This is the date I'm going to start preseason. Um, so I'm going to start running a couple of weeks before that date, and then I'm going to be ready by the season. It's just sort of, you know, year in year out, you do the same thing. Um, you know, some guys go, you know, they'll go from their cricket season into their footy and they just have that same routine. When it's all taken away and you have no end, like there's no round one to aim for, there's no first night of preseason training to aim for, there's, it, it throws it all out the window. And until you go, all right, set these little goals or get that mindset right. And, mate, I, I haven't done a thing since our last training session. I haven't gone for a run. I haven't well, done well, anything. You, so, You know, me, Rifty, when season got shut down that first time, but we still had potential return to play. I was three nights a week down at Casey Fields, get myself ready, kicking footies. As soon as the season got cut off last night, I grabbed all the footies from the footy club. I've been out once because it's just like, you know, the motivation does, it, it goes. Cause you're like, well, what, why? It's beforehand, I'm like, okay, we've got maybe six weeks before we get back to playing footy. Now it's, you're guaranteed not be back playing until next season. So it's, what it's, it's yeah. hard, right? And like the only reason I've been doing a lot of what I've been doing is because my, like, because I said, my girlfriend, she's trying to still get drafted this year. So she has to be ready. So like it's forced us to go for runs when we didn't want to. It's forced us to be out with the camera on a cold Saturday morning, kicking footballs to each other so that clubs can see her improvement over time because if you're not doing that sort of stuff, it's going to make it really hard for a club to even pick you up. So it's like even these sort of tips we've been giving out to our community, being like, this is what you should be doing. This is what you could be doing. Because if you're not, you're just letting everyone else that is doing it pass you. And it's like, I think you've nailed it on the head there. What are the small goals that you're going to then be able to pat yourself on the back because you know you've achieved something next. You know you've done something. You know you've completed something. You know you've done something well or you've improved yourself in some way, shape or form. And it's something I do. I've got my my whiteboard to this side of me which has my daily, monthly and weekly goals on it because I'm like, screw it. If I'm not cracking what I'm doing, how do I know that I'm actually moving in the right direction anywhere. So it's something I've been doing, reading a lot on a lot of mindset stuff um, and then just trying to share that with our community so that they don't feel like they're just in this really depressed state where just because they're locked inside, they feel like they can't achieve anything because it's not the case. It's definitely, you've got uh, an opportunity and I know every single one of us will look back and when this is done and we're back into some sense of normality and go, what did I do in that six months? And I love the fact that I've at least got two or three things personally to me. I can say, well, Jason, if you did nothing else, you did these three things. 
Yeah, nice. So I'm going to mention a name for you. Um, his name's Christian Woodford. Uh, go check him out on Facebook. He's a strength and conditioning coach. Yeah. Um, and he's very big. Um, he's done shared a few insights into physical preparedness for football. Uh, he's yep. worked with some footballers and stuff, and um, he's he's often criticised the way that uh, the women's game is getting treated uh, with the way that they're physically expected to be ready to play these games, but not getting the same level of professional um, strength and conditioning programs to, to develop their bodies in readiness for football. Yeah. So I reckon, uh, yeah, check him out. He'd be definitely one to engage with and, and help with um, developing some, some stuff with you guys. I think. Uh, yeah, i definitely get on to him. He looks like a, the sort of person that's definitely worth uh, worth having a chat with. Um, but yeah, there's another guy. There's a um, similar sort of guy, a guy named Brian Keane in in Ireland. We like we don't do any work with him, but like a lot of the players we have follow people like him because they give them just a different sense on not just the the training principles, but also some of the mindset principles. And I think that with that, I think a trend that's going to be huge um, in all sports and I'd say that actually probably all Australian sport is slightly behind times when we look at some of that if we look at the sports psychology elements that you see in UK US and maybe more widely European sport I think that's um, where we're seeing maybe some of the the percentage improvements in in those guys is but how do we mentally prepare as well as physically prepare for all this stuff and it was interesting to see the St Kilda guys um, doing the whole breathing techniques before they went back out before quarter because it's the such opposite of what you normally see from football. It's normally rev up, punching guys in the chest, getting everyone up and about and like building up the adrenaline, not going, we need to calm down for two minutes so we can execute our skills. It's such a different way of looking at things and it's a, it's a, a fascinating area I think that's going to only explode I think in Australian sport. You, you never see them amazing, Rift. Some of the names that you just pull out and things that you know, yeah, so right, it's, here I am I'll, thinking you're just a bloke that follows all these sports and man, I'm just whatnot. a man of many uh, interests. That's all. Uh, so it's Woodford Sport Science Consulting. That's his. Uh, that's his page. His business page. Um, and if you have, you check it out, mate. The first video that was posted there yesterday is uh, Josh Dacos doing some lifts there. So looking like a beast. So, um, you just never said it, mate. You, you really don't riff the every, every single podcast. You pull something out, and I'm like, how do you even know that? I love well, that. I am a qualified personal trainer as well, so I I do have an interest in that. I I may not look like a personal <laughs> trainer, but I have have studied it myself. No, and so you're the person I take the, interest in. You're the personal trainer that I want. The one that knows how to train somebody. Yeah, knows how to train themselves because stuff I'm doing, I want to do. Yeah, just. <laughs> Do as I say, not as I do. Exactly right. <laughs> exactly. That's the that's the right thing, right? It's like I don't care what you look like, it's just what you what you can help me achieve. That's all I care about. And you're not gonna intimidate me either. Like you have these personal trainers that are built like brick brick shit ass and tell you what, they're intimidating. But you're just like, Oh, well if you can do it, I can do it. Yeah. But, but anyway. I'm the complete opposite. I want the personal trainer that can that looks like A B so that he Obviously he must some not... people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We do I'll speak about AB afterwards, actually. I think we need to get some merch to him to promote for us. But um, anyway, yeah, we've taken a fair bit of your time, Jason. But just two quick questions before we let you go. So, what's been your favourite thing with being involved in Crosscoders? Ah, uh, it's definitely been able to see 
the girls' debut where I've been able to, like, um, being able to be there for most of their debuts, that's been the, the most amazing thing for me because it's all well and good sort of, I guess, hearing about it and getting the opportunity and all this sort of stuff. But being there on the day, they get to run out in front of a group of fans that it's just a round one game and they're not expecting much. And then being able to sort of just do that and be part of that is such a special moment, right? Because these girls have come from being the best in their sport where they know everyone around them. They're in a, normally a little town in Ireland um, and they're playing their sport and they're happy. But they've taken the risk to fly to the other side of the world to go to a place where they probably know no one, maybe other than me, um, and they maybe know me only virtually. And then they've gone, yep, yeah, I'm going to put in the hard yards to get into the team and I'm going to make that first appearance. And then being able to see their face when they come off the pitch, whether that's win, lose or draw, that's been like the most rewarding thing in the world for me, being able to just help someone get that opportunity and then just see them fulfil and live that. That's it's a great thing that you've done starting this company and and getting involved with this and spreading uh, the AFL game all around the world and uh, we just hope you you're able to get players from even more places. I know you mentioned you got one girl from Fiji. We spoke to a uh, president of AFL Fiji recently, and at Oregon there'd be plenty of girls over in Fiji and Papua New Guinea and all these other places uh, that would be. I have seen a, a couple of the Papua New Guinea girls are actually, I think there's a couple of the youngsters that were playing in maybe AFL Queensland that have been invited to the AFLW combine up there for this coming season. So fingers crossed, we might even see the first uh, Pacific Islander um, pull on an AFLW jersey this year. And even if that's nothing to do with us, that's still bloody amazing. And I'd be wrapped to see one of them grab that opportunity and, and, and do that. Because I I wrote a piece in maybe 2016, just before the AFLW started. It was like, this could have been the opportunity for the AFL to create a real vehicle to international expansion. And that could have really been from like, okay, how do we create all these pathways now and bring all these people and or have games in different areas or something? Like, I felt, felt like because women's sport hadn't really taken off at that point to a professional level, it could have been the vehicle to take international go. Uh, sorry, AFL internationally. Um, I think we've missed about a little bit there, but hopefully, if we can still keep getting these one or two athletes from all these different countries come over, that this could then turn into a, a quite a nice global game here in uh, in Australia. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I'll tell you, one of the places we spoke to a few clubs in Germany, and there's um, the women's game is growing huge in Germany over there. There's more and more girls signing up to play it over there. So I do want to point out, Rifty, that at the very start of this interview, you mentioned a lady by the name of Lisa Wilson. Yeah. Um, I want to get her on the show, Rifty. I don't know how many times her name has come up. I think she's in double digits by now. Oh, mate, I'll, I'll, text you, I'll text you her number. She's, um, yeah, she's, she's a legend. She's, uh, me and her, like, we, she played for Wimbledon Hawks with me, obviously. We played for GB together. Uh, we worked for the same company. So if I can't get her to, to, <laughs> to speak to you guys, I don't think anyone can. She, she, she's just in the, I think, because oh, she's at Hamburg at the moment, isn't she? Yeah. Uh, I, I think early days of this podcast, we'll try and get Hamburg on. I think she may have been one of them, but just never eventuated. But by doing this show, I think she has come up just, as I said, double digits easily, I reckon. And she's someone that, I just want to get on the, on the podcast, not to speak about the club, the Hamburg, but speak about her journey and what she's done 
for the game. He's been, it's uh, just, it's been, it, it sounds incredible. It sounds like she is literally a very, very big part of why women's football in Europe is where it is at the moment. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. Like she, I'm pretty sure she founded the Wimbledon Hawks female team. I'm pretty sure she founded the England national women's team, the GB national women's team. She obviously went to Germany and um, has been fairly um, built into bringing that game up to where it is today. And I think that there was a time, I don't know if she still is, but she was working as part of AFL Europe as part of a game development coordinator. But she's been, without a shadow of a doubt, probably one of the most influential people in European football I reckon there's ever been. Because, I mean, the fact that she's doing it as a passion, I think just is why it's been so... Uh, I guess why it's worked so well because she's just brought people along because she tried to get them to have fun um, and try to be involved in the game she loves so it's not um, she's not being paid to do it she's not being there with an AFL uh, like logo on her jumper where she's like oh, I'm here from the AFL like you should play this game because it's the best game in the world she actually truly believes that I'd say so um, look I'll, uh, I'll drop her a text after this to say <laughs> that you guys are trying to get hold of her and uh share her number and her email for you. I do appreciate that. No, awesome, man. Oh, where can everyone go on and uh, find um, you guys on, on social media and stuff and follow along? Or, or yeah, so we live in all the regular well. places. We're on Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram. If you search Crosscoders, we normally come up. But, I mean, the official names are Crosscoders Co on Facebook and Twitter and Crosscoders Sport on uh, Instagram. Yeah, very nice. And uh, you mentioned your girlfriend's trying to get drafted. So what's her name? Just so we can say when she's drafted that, you know, we we spoke to her boyfriend. On, uh... Uh, it, it, it's Ashlyn Curley. So another one of the Irish girls. She's a little uh, ginger redhead running around. So she's uh, she's the, the quickest human I've, I've ever had to race against. Um, she's uh, an amazingly speedy little little whip it and uh she's um yeah she came over from ireland actually for our original camp and uh it sort of blossomed from there so she's um she's been an awesome awesome uh i guess workhorse during this time and i mean fingers crossed that the pies or someone else uh takes the plunge on her come uh, mid-october yeah awesome and um mate thanks heaps for joining us um we do appreciate you taking the time out of your day to, to talk to us and best of luck with everything you're doing with cross coders and best of luck to you to her with her journey uh at trying to get drafted and mate so next year or whenever we're able to get back down to our club and have a kick you're you're welcome down anytime and hopefully we'll have a women's team running around next year as well so the the missus can even come down and teach him a thing or two once she's played a few AFLW games. Well, what are you talking about? I want his missus, his partner, to come down and teach a few of our boys a thing or two. <laughs> well, <laughs> oh, believe me, she's teaching me a thing or two as well. So uh, it's, it's not going to be too hard. But no, guys, it's been uh, it's been awesome to chat on a Saturday night and uh, looking forward to uh, seeing you guys uh, get back on the field and hopefully uh, oh, we can do this in face-to-face at some point. Yeah, awesome, mate. Mate, we'll have to get her down and you can put Put Joshy's uh, time trial to shame. That that'd be the way. Finally, we get someone to beat Joshy. What we'll do is, if you when you guys get the uh, the women's off the ground, the first training session they do, I'll see if I can get some of the the AFLW girls we've got that we represent down to to do a first session with them or something like that. Man, that sounds amazing. Uh, yeah, thanks again for your time and best of luck with everything. And uh, we hope to speak to you again soon in the future. Cheers, guys. Sure. Take thanks, care. Mike. Thanks for watching the Cobra Cast with the present VP. 
And if you need somebody to talk to, why not contact New Life Psychology in Berwick? They are now taking phone appointments. Or you could head to otlr.com.au for tips and info. And we are supporters of TAC's Towards Zero campaign. Head to towardszero.vic.gov.au for more info because zero is the only acceptable number. Hey Siri, play the Cobra Cast with the present VP.